that been left with this story to tell I wasted my life just waiting on a dream Gave up my sight for a chance to be seen I've slept in the seas, bathed in the stars They left me to bleed, but I breathe through the scars I've died by the gun, lived by the sword Try to hope through the sun just to talk to the Lord Hoping it's bad, hoping to grab my hold on reality Life's a slick smoke, I slipped and broke from sanity Andrew Rufa, a.k.a. Adrew the Misfit, thank you very much for joining us here at Lawrence.com. No problem, man. Appreciate you having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. We're here to sort of talk about and celebrate the release of your debut feature-length album, Dying on My Feet. We'll just get into some of your own background as an artist. You came up in Manhattan, Kansas. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I was was, uh, born in Houston, Texas. Uh, I was adopted when I was a few months old. And when I was about two, my... uh, People, the family that adopted me, we moved to uh, Manhattan. So, yeah, I pretty much grew up in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And I moved to uh, Kansas City in about 97 or something like that. Moved here about 03. But I, I'm, I'm curious about how you discovered hip-hop in Manhattan. And uh, the, is there actually a hip-hop scene in Manhattan, Kansas? Well, you know, I'm to be honest with you, in about I have, I've been to Manhattan like once in the last eight years, man. But... Uh, so I'm not really sure. I know I got some friends that are still trying to do their thing out in Manhattan, man. And um, I think there's, you know, there's a love for hip-hop now in any community you could go into, you know. But uh, when I was a kid, when I first discovered hip-hop was about 84, man. And that was about the time that hip-hop uh, was really becoming really kind of trendy. And they had, you know, the break-in movies and they had... You know, McDonald's commercials with people pop-locking and shit like that. And it was really, it was really kind of a trendy kind of thing at that point as far as, like, in, in your suburban communities and shit like that. But um, uh, I was really, when I really got locked into hip-hop was when I saw the Beat Street movie, which is really a much more authentic portrayal of hip-hop culture than, like, the breaking movies and stuff. And, yeah, the first hip-hop album I ever got was a soundtrack to that movie. And... Uh, yeah, pretty much after that, man, I was listening to a lot of hip-hop music. I always got into a lot of other kinds of music as well. Like, when I was a kid, I was really drawn to a lot of old soul music, and uh, I actually wanted to be an R&B singer when I was a kid. Really? But, uh, <laughs> you know. Did you ever get into any training to be an R&B singer? No, nah, man. Or practice to be Other than R&B just, singer? like, you know, coming home after school and singing in the garage and shit to, like, <laughs> you know, Jackson 5 tapes and shit. That was pretty much my journey. <laughs> and uh, when did you start actually making your, your own music? Like, when did you start becoming uh, a lyricist? And when did you start, like, laying down beats? Well, I, uh, I first started writing my little raps in about probably, like, 89 or something like that, man. And there's uh, nothing to really brag about at that point. But I kept at it. And uh, I guess the time where I probably actually started letting people hear the stuff that I was writing was probably about, like, 91 and uh, from then, uh, we were just making, like, little homemade tapes on, like, doctored-up karaoke machines. Like, we would have two put together, and one would be, like, the main vocal. One would be, like, the ad-libs. And, uh, you know, back then, we didn't have computer recording programs. Everybody didn't have a studio. You know, it was much more difficult to actually get your voice on tape, you know. Um, and then I started uh, rhyming on the radio in about... 93 at the college station uh db92 k-state yeah Yeah, and uh um there was a dj at that time named dj trickster who's actually now uh the dj one of the main djs at at, uh kprs in kansas city 
103 Gems or whatever. He goes by JT Quick now. But uh, I just I went up to the station one time and just spit for him, and he started letting me get on the air, and he would, like, loop up breaks for me and uh, on a reel-to-reel machine. And uh, I would just, like, do freestyles on the air. We would record little songs before hmm. before he went on the air, stuff like that. And, uh, that's pretty much how I got my start, man. Talk about your evolution as a lyricist, as a songwriter. You, especially on Dying on My Own Feet, you have very dense lyrical approach to your hip-hop. And uh, what are your influences lyrically? As an MC, man, uh, my main influences were probably like Chuck D, um, KRS-One, Nas, uh, Hieroglyphics, which uh, some people might find a little bit surprising if they know Hyro's music, but a lot of people don't give Hyro the credit of being some of the first cats that really put syllables together in a really intricate way, and has kind of extended into the way I approach my stuff. But uh, in the beginning, you know, for a long time when I was younger, I pretty much just focused on battle raps. Like, I just had my entire life revolved around coming up with punchlines and one-liners and shit like that, man. It was really kind of crazy. And I was just known as as the battle cat, you know what I mean? You know, I just had mad battle raps and shit. And it really, you know, when I started going through a really a lot of serious things in my life, it's when I really started to add a lot more substance into what I was writing because you know I it got to the point where I didn't care about bragging how dope I was you know I was just talking about what happened in my life but still that the the rhyme structure and the the my cadence and everything kind of stayed in that same area you know off of dying on my own feet what do you think would be the best example of perhaps where you are right now as as an MC like what what do you think sort of epitomizes your your approach to songwriting and to hip hop in general. Is there one in there that you would like sort of hold up and say, this is who I am as an artist right now? Well, I mean, there's, it's kind of hard to say because there's so many different, I, I talk on so much different stuff on the album. I mean, the most meaningful song to me would obviously be the song about my son, which is called Seed, Setting Everlasting Eternal Devotion. You know, obviously for personal reasons, that would have really deep meaning to me. say the songs that most encompass who I am as a person would probably be the songs of nobody and the song nothing I'm not pretty much kind of kind of uh it's where I'm at in my life right now for the most part I'm deadly when I pull a pin out I rap like no one out there I'm deadly when I pull a pin out I twist up the top of my bottle pull shots and can swallow hollow a bigger blazing dime trying to fade from the sorrow follow my thoughts inside and get lost in my riding my people need these sparks to ignite them lost to guide them I'm the first to confess I can't suppress the anger so I use this music as a decompressing chamber bipolarized mind my diagnosis defines they want to fill me with these pills and try to tell me I'm fine but I remember back to the straps wrapped in my wrist needles jabbed in my hips on the rim of a judge and maniacs psychiatric savages with a grudge they the reason I spend my whole life addicted to drugs
We'll go back to sort of your progression as your sort of geographical travels around uh, Kansas. So you went from Manhattan to Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah, Kansas City, Missouri, excuse me. And (laughs) when you moved there and based on KCPD, you apparently got along smashingly with the authority figures in Kansas City. (laughs) Yeah, that's a – yeah, I could go into so much in that area, but – um. Yeah, uh, I mean, this kind of relates. You hear me a lot on on the album talk about my uh, quote-unquote mental condition and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I have moments in my life where I've been really on the manic side of things. And there's been times where I've had uh, run-ins with the police in Kansas City. And uh, they get, you know, Kansas City, man, a lot of the police there, they come from a lot of smaller towns surrounding Kansas City, um, and a lot of these guys, they have a lot of, you know, I think a lot of it's pretty common knowledge that a lot of cops going into the job because they have uh, certain biases towards certain people. They have a they have a power uh, complex. They 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 really uh, want to vent their frustrations. You know, I think it's been pretty much proven. And uh, you know, um, a lot of cops, they, any chance they get to to exert some of that frustration to let some of that frustration out you know they'll take full opportunity of it and it's it's pretty well documented that that, uh people that are taken into custody that that have some mental stuff going on have a greater tendency to be brutalized um than than your average cat that 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 gets arrested or, or whatever well, just as so far as uh, your encounter with the police and other authority figures in Kansas City, that's tied in with your psychological history while you're in Kansas City. And Somewhat. Not completely. Not completely. But, but, I mean, you know, I mean, in Kansas City, you see every day people being profiled, people being harassed, people being beaten, people being robbed. You know, I lived in some pretty sketchy parts of town at times. And, and you know, there's... There's been times where you see, you know, SWAT members jump out of trees with, with with fucking automatic weapons with laser sights pointed at your head. You know, I literally had money taken out of my pocket, you know, just walking down the street by police officers, you know what I mean? Yeah. And stuff like that, you know, I've seen countless people, you know, mistreated in jails, you know, mistreated on the streets. And, you know, it's, it's really pretty ridiculous, man. I, I really don't think a lot of people really got a full grasp on uh, how violent and how sadistic a lot of these dudes are, man. And, you know, I realize that there are good-hearted police out there, but at the same time, these good, quote-unquote, good cops are seeing all the crooked, bad shit that's going on, and they're still doing nothing about it. You know, they got the, their blue shield or code of silence or what, whatever. And so, to me, you know, it makes them just as bad. You cannot make any statements that are inflammatory and that can be construed as advocating violence. Yo. Uh. To protect and serve the most empty words I ever heard. Monstrous cops concocting plots from metropolis plots to the burbs. Murders occur. Mad savages with badges, packing cannons, clapping at us after status. So the yards are fast as faggots. Frontin' tough on some coward shit Ready to empty out your clips over some power trips So last time you rushed me Just the last time that you touched me You can take your full warrants And try serving up the warrants Motherfuckers Y'all bitches miss the And your encounters with the police Is that 
kind of primarily what led you to move to Lawrence? Not completely. I mean, one of the main reasons I came to Lawrence was was just to get a fresh start in general, man. And, you know, I had a couple friends here that were doing music and stuff, and I really wanted to try to pursue my music again. And I just wanted to get a fresh start. It got to the point where I had so many just crazy memories in Kansas City um, that it just felt like if I take a walk through Midtown right now, man, it feels so surreal. It's almost like it's a movie set or something, and I can look in and so many like everywhere I look is just some memory and uh, you know I had a lot of a lot of crazy days in Midtown man and it's just it's just a really you know I just wanted to get a fresh start right. basically man and so um, how does the community in Kansas City compare with the community in Lawrence specifically the hip hop communities would you, if, would you say there is a hip hop community in Lawrence well then? sadly you know <laughs> there isn't a huge hip hop community in Lawrence I mean I know there's a lot of people that dig some hip hop and there's people that, that that listen to some stuff, you know, but for the most part, the cats that really like live and breathe the hip hop lifestyle and culture. And there's probably people that are going to read that or listen to this and, and think that's even comedic to say a uh, hip hop lifestyle or culture. But that's what it is, you know, and uh, it's 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 kind of depressing when when you do a show or you go to a show. and It doesn't even look like it doesn't even seem like a hip-hop show you know and it's really frustrating when when you're uh and i'm not i'm not trying to uh degrade lawrence in any way i think it's a great place and and uh i think as far as kansas goes it's about the best place you could be you know but it is kind of frustrating that there's not more people that have a really true respect for the art of, of hip-hop music whether it's making beats or writing rhymes or you know i i respect i, I love a lot of indie rock and 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 uh punk rock and all kinds of stuff you know man but a lot of these people don't have the same respect for our music and it's really kind of frustrating you know i mean i don't think a lot of these uh indie rock artists really uh appreciate how much work it is just to, to make a, a hip-hop song you know we're writing 24 bar verses you know what i mean you know most rock songs are eight lines chorus eight lines bridge chorus you know what i mean and it's it's a really a, a, and especially doing the kind of stuff that me and the people I work with do. You know, we're not just you know taking an hour writing a song, just anything that comes to mind. We put a lot of work into it. You know, we try to use a lot of wordplay, a lot of metaphoric stuff, a lot of you know complex imagery, and it's really not as simple as some people might think it is. You know, I really think a lot of people aren't exposed to. I don't know, just just the real shit. Like a lot of people. They hear what's on the radio and they assume that's what hip hop music is, and there's so much more to that. And it seems like a lot of people don't realize that, man. Yeah. You know. And do you think that maybe one of the reasons that there is sort of a dearth of hip hop artists or a hip hop scene in Lawrence is just because hip hop, as you put it on your album, hip hop is revolution, and hip hop uh, is sort of the latter day equivalent of punk rock, and that you, you you kind of have to be struggling against something. Not necessarily. I mean, I realize there's, there's mad people living in Lawrence that have been through all kinds of crazy shit in their lives, you know, and I think a lot of us are struggling against certain things. But I think all great art, whether it's music or, or, or whatever, it stems from struggle and stems from pain and, and deep emotions, you know. Um, when you mention punk rock, you, you know, hip-hop and punk are almost equivalent in a lot of ways. You know, it's like, you know, fuck you if you don't like what I'm doing and I'm going to do it anyway and I'm going to say what I believe and say what I feel. And, you know, that's what good 
that's what good art to me is, period. You know, when uh, people are really doing what they do in order to convey things in a way that hasn't been seen before or open people's eyes to certain things that they might not be aware of or do it in a way that they've never seen before. You know, that's to me, that's just good art in any genre, you know. There are obviously hip-hop artists in the Kansas City and Lawrence area. Mm-hmm. Probably not as many as we'd like to see, but you've worked with a lot of them on your upcoming album. Miles Bonnie, Johnny Quest, ID, Archetype, Nesbeats, most if not all have uh, appeared on your album. Yeah, also Beat Broker, uh, Vertigon from the Guild. Yeah, and you've appeared on a lot um, of their stuff too. Talk about that. Talk about collaborating in general. Like, how how easy is it for you? You're, your album, uh, Die on My Feet, is a very pers- intensely personal and very dark album in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. How, how is it collaborating with people on material and art that is just kind of so from the soul and so personal? Uh, well, when it comes to uh, collaborations, first of all, like, I met I met Nez when he was like a 13-year-old kid. You know, I'm like four or five years older than him and Isaac, and... Uh, I remember hearing about this kid in Manhattan that like had a drum machine and was making beats and I I, I met him and like I would go to his crib and, and his parents didn't like it too much but uh <laughs> um he would like I would like hum melodies for him and he would play them out on his little machine and we would make little beats. So uh when it comes to the collaborations, um, you know, it was pretty much Nez that put my foot in that door as far as meeting people and letting people hear my music and and then from there, you know, it was just people, like, really digging what I was doing and just, you know, uh, I really didn't really pay for any beat on this album, you know. It was all just out of love and out of mutual respect, you know what I mean? And a lot of people really blessed me with some really, really dope tracks that were really perfect for the songs I was doing, man. And I'm forever going to appreciate that, man. I feel like I'm in debt to a lot of these dudes, man, because this album is something I've wanted to do for years. You know, I stopped doing music for a long time, man. I just, I, I, my main motivation for this album was just to do it for me personally. And, and, you know, a lot of people really helped it become what it is, you know, because I, I wasn't going into it planning on making a, a 20 song album, you know, I was thinking like, <laughs> I was thinking like 10, 12 songs, but it just kept evolving and, and I kept re recording stuff, rewriting stuff, and a lot of people really contributed to it and it was dope. How long did it take you to? Like from start to finish, like well, when man, you laid down the first track all the way to the final CD, how how much time did you put into this album? I mean, the first song I recorded for it is a song called Risen that um, Nez actually sent this beat to me when I lived in Kansas City in about 2002, man. That's when he sent me the beat. But uh, the first, when it just happened to still be available when I came to Lawrence and I started working on stuff. And, uh, you know, it's dope how things work out like that. I'm a madness, so long I've been trapped in this blackness Brain blazing in flames, now I'ma rise from the ashes This ain't no fairy tale, they have me buried in hell Thrown in overpopulated cages, locked in solitary cells Lipping in vain, twisting in pain, dripping insane When I left in a sicker condition, the wind I can't uh, that, was record, that song was recorded in um like early 05, late 04 So I mean, I've been working on the, on the thing for almost three years 
but I don't want it to sound like the material's dated or anything because uh, the majority of the, majority of the songs were were written and recorded within the last like six to eight months for the most part or a year. You know, you alternate between topics on the songs between your own biography and social commentary. Track like Truth Where Trouble Lies seems to be more about your own personal experiences and your own medical conditions in the past, whereas a song like Society, Mm. as it's in the title, is just sort of a blistering social commentary on a lot of things from Bush to Katrina and so on. Do you approach those topics differently, or do you even see a difference in how you uh, tackle those subjects? Well, you know, when I I write about my personal life, it's pretty much just stream of consciousness, whatever happens to come out. Um, When I do topical songs, I I really have an idea in my mind before I start writing. Is it a conscious effort? Like, do you separate, like, the biographical songs and the political songs, or is it just whatever comes to you? Well, not completely. I mean, like, in society, like, the beginning of the second verse, or uh, even, like, the beginning of both verses are kind of a little more personal, and then it stems into... The social commentary and the way I, I approach that stuff is like, you know, I like to say social commentary instead of political. You know, I um, like I was saying to you earlier, I don't consider myself to be any kind of political science expert. You know, I, I talk about things as they directly affect, you know, me, people like me, people that have been through the same kind of things I've been through, people that are going through the things that I've been through. Do you like watch CNN and then see something that pisses you off and I mean, then you exactly. sort of sit down I mean, and uh, that gives you inspiration? I don't necessarily watch CNN because I can't afford cable. <laughs> but uh, I mean, you know, obviously we're all seeing what's going on in the world right now. And I just, you know, I think we're at a, a real critical point right now where things could get better. Things could get a lot worse, you know. And I just uh, I think a lot of people's eyes are really not open to a lot of the things that are going on. Obviously, we know about things like Katrina and we know about the war, and I think the majority of Americans are are, uh, really frustrated with what's going on. But I think a lot of people are kind of... They don't really understand the roots of where all this stuff is coming from, you know, or they don't want to face it, like what the roots of this country truly are and what the true history of this country is. Yo, I woke from my sleep, this sweat so cold, seats holding a deep breath, trying to slow the beats in my chest, hit with this sick image from the nightmare that I had, a baby suffocating under an American flag, the lefties broke and new owners this week, guess what I'm dreaming, so it's older, seeing kids floating in the street, the Bush regime all on my TV screen, it's sickening, seeing villains squeezing and kissing children, seeming grease stricken for those needing relief for deceased victims, when their very own Nazi policies agreed. Killed them more was more important They reallocated all the funds Assassinated fathers, mothers, daughters and sons Homes hopelessly broken beneath poverty's ocean Waters keep overflowing Our bodies are decomposing Our soldiers are needed here But still died in Iraq just to keep you free To gas up your SUVs It's crazy but This may make the nation wake up Cause it's time there ain't no terrorists The ones to blame is us Dust to dust, ashes to ashes Maybe you feel the same as me If the dead was in your town Bracket. You can't hide your eyes, open them up, watch Our country's imploding and dumpy, just posing for photo ops We walking in the graves to keep politicians paid The American ways made us all expendable slaves Expendable slaves
the track, well, the track specifically that I'm, I'm just kind of curious about is Not Like This, number 13 on the album. Mm. Where did that come from? Because uh, it, it, uh, for those who haven't heard it, and we'll play it in the podcast, but is it something that you recorded for the album or is that a sample from somewhere where did that come from um, the, the the dialogue is actually from a movie called punishment park which uh was a movie made i believe in the late 70s and it was um based on the vietnam era and it was basically the premise of it was dissenters like like radical poets uh activists musicians or whatever you know, Black Panther types or Abby Hoffman types that were rounded up and basically taken to this prison camp. And they were given the option to spend like 25 years in prison or uh, try to make it across the desert to an American flag. And uh, it was, uh, and it was, they were being like basically chased by these army cats. <laughs> and, uh, it was like if you got if you showed any kind of resistance, you could be killed. And it was a really interesting movie, man. Because uh, while it's it's supposed to be completely fictional, you never completely know if if certain things in that area actually could have happened or could happen. You know what I mean? And it's it's just a really interesting. I mean, you know, like it says in the beginning of that of that track, you know, there still is a law in place where they can do that. They can round up people that they consider to be a threat to the country and or whatever. It's really interesting movie, man. It's and I really like that dialogue. It, it's kinda long, but I really wanted to put we kinda chopped it up and it's basically uh actually I read that the director based the guy that's giving the speech on Abby Hoffman. If a lot of people might not know or some people might know he was a, a really uh Big activist in the sixties, member of the Yippies, I the believe. Yippie Party, and the Chicago <laughs> Chicago eight, Seven, Seven, excuse me, Chicago Seven, yeah, uh, Huey Newton, or was it Bobby? It was Seals? Bobby Seal. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about the other. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be rumors. Tom Hayden, I think, was one of them. But uh, uh, and he's, you know, he's basically just breaking down all the ills of society and pointing out the fact that so many of us live such an empty existence, and we're we spend our days slaving away for corporations that, that uh, you know, doing meaningless jobs for corporations that are putting out products and services that we really don't need in the first place. And it's like, you know, it's a point of a lot of my music is that there, there should be so much more to life in this existence that we're expected to 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 live in America. You know, you know, I think it should be an option where we can do what we want to do every day and, and really enjoy our lives to the fullest. I think a lot of people don't realize how much of a just a wasted life they're actually living, even if they might have their their SUVs and their big house and their two kids and their corporate job. And, you know, there's just so much more. There should be so much more to life than that. You know what I mean? So if it was up to you kind of people, we would just shut down these factories. We burn them down. We'd all go out and panhandle the street. Then what kind of society would we have then? What kind of how, how would you how would you feed people then? So you want us to work and support you. That's what you want food, enough wealth in this country to take care of everyone. I'm as concerned as you are about the direction of this country. 
You know, I, I, I really feel sorry for you. You know, we're the same age. And here you are defending a miserable existence. Don't you realize how you're being exploited? How the, how, how the people who control the money are diminishing your existence to working in a fucking dirty factory which puts black smoke up in the air, which pollutes the entire world, and you're working your ass off saving money for your kids, getting pennies while they're making hundreds and hundreds of dollars? Don't you realize how you're being duped? How they get your head fucked with? How they have you indoctrinated? How they have you conditioned? How they've misinformed you? Don't you see this? Are you that blind? What about the corruption? What about the police brutality? What about the oppression of the minority groups in this country? You want to know what's immoral? You want me? To, you want me to tell you what's immoral? War is immoral. Poverty is immoral. Racism is immoral. Police brutality is immoral. Oppression is immoral. Genocide is immoral. Imperialism is immoral. This country represents all those things. And another one of the uh, lyrical aspects of the album, I thought one of the most pointed political satire moments was in vintage track number 10 in which you say i fantasize about mary cheney banging bush's daughters actually it was pagan pagan i got that uh i got that what is it the dan savage column i think he originated that phrase of the strap on so it's like (laughs) you know um mary cheney doing doing bush's daughters yeah any deeper political significance there (laughs) i just thought it was a dope line it is you know I yeah, yeah. hats off to you for that. <laughs> thank you, thank you. My mind's a dichotomy, psychotically split, misfit, and truly anomaly bitch. Now how many times you heard this many lines to quote? I write with ill will like a Nas line and note it. Sometimes I know I'm not too sane. Drone loose hanging from a noose like Hussein. Massively manically distorted, personality disorder. Having fantasies of Mary Cheney, Pagan Bush's daughters. I'm the only one that wants before you get your shit off. I do not got time for you pussy press punks. Fuck the scene, dog. You really think Drew's in the wrong? I'm just an American recheck, but I'm moving along. Another one of the influences that you deal with directly is organized religion. It comes up uh, several times on the album. I'm yeah. thinking specifically of on Father Time and Lucifer's Jaws. Do you consider yourself a religious person? I consider myself a deeply, deeply spiritual person. I'm very deeply spiritual, but um, I was I was actually raised in a Jewish family. Um, I don't really consider myself Jewish anymore, although I do pull. Uh, I do like. Uh, I do pull inspiration from certain things in that faith, but I, I pull things from all kinds of different faiths. And I just think, you know, I think it's obvious. It should be obvious to anybody that, that organized religion is, is has really been a detriment to, to people's lives and 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 in all kinds of ways, man. I mean, I know so many people that that uh, have so many guilt issues because of the way they were raised and the religion they were raised in and. And, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of people look at this war we're in now as, as a war of, of Christianity versus Islam, you know, and it's just it's just crazy. Like, I, I think the roots of all religions are good. And, I, I, you know, when I talk about Christianity and stuff, I don't think Christianity is some evil kind of religion. But I, I think a lot of evil people have stemmed from from christianity you know a lot of evil things have stemmed from christianity throughout the history of the entire world you know but i think the the main the main uh roots of it are good you know i mean but it's when people become judgmental of others based on their religious beliefs and you know when people are actually losing their lives because they don't they don't look at god in the same way as, as someone else it's it's really a crazy thing it's really a sad thing you know, and I really think um, 
you know, I believe in a, in a higher power. I believe in spirits. I believe in a, another spiritual realm. I've been to, through too many things in my life where I couldn't believe in that. Would you um, consider kind of yourself an atheist or an agnostic? I wouldn't consider myself either one of those, man, because I, I truly believe. I can't, I can't uh, give you a concrete definition of what God is or or spirits or you know, I definitely don't believe in a heaven and hell. I think that's a ridiculous concept that's created to keep people in line. But I, I do know there's something more to this existence than just this uh, physical world. You know, I, I'm absolutely positive of that. And I think just to put it in a nutshell, I think, you know, if we are being judged in some way, you know, I don't think God, first of all, if you want to call him God, you know, I, when I say God, I'm... I'm saying that so people can understand I'm talking about a higher power, but I don't necessarily look at it as one guy up there, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? That's, you know, but, um, you know, I, first of all, I don't think that quote unquote God would want us spending hours, you know, you know, uh, praising him in a million dollar church. You know, I think he wants us out there being, living good lives, living righteous lives, trying to help other people. And, you know, um, I really don't think he would give a damn if we are uh if we think we can be saved by Jesus or by a, a golden statue, you know, as long as we're good people and we're living how we're supposed to live, you know. I don't think you should have anything to worry about. And so many of these these Christian fanatics will tell you if, you know, you, you don't uh believe in Jesus, you're going to hell and that's it. And it's just such a ridiculous concept. I mean, if that's the case, you know, Gandhi's in hell, Malcolm X is in hell. You know, all the Native Americans are in hell pretty much. Uh, you know, there's a whole lot of people, all the Jews are in hell. You know, there's a lot of people in hell. It's, you know, it's just, it's crazy for people to think like that. And it's really sad that so many people actually really do think like that. And there's a lot of people that do, man. I just think it's really crazy. It's a good contrast between what you do and what passes for mainstream hip-hop these days, where you have these guys who are like materialist obsessed about, you know, money and possessions, but at the same time, they're quasi Jesus freaks. Like they're always name dropping Jesus, but at the same time, they're glorifying just, you know, earthly possessions and gold and diamonds. I think a lot of those guys really do have deep spiritual beliefs, but, and, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not going to say that there's anything wrong with having some, some good material possessions, you know, if you've earned it, you know, no, I hear, believe me, I, I hate to see, you know. Uh, hip hop music or any music or any entertainment that glorifies, you know, extravagant, you know, material possessions and stuff like and that. And violence but, at the same time, which yeah. is the bizarre sort of contradiction there in mainstream hip hop. But yeah, yeah, I mean, 
but you know, it's, it isn't just hip hop. You know, there's all kinds of um, there's shitty music. rock music. Out yeah, there too. <laughs> music, movies, TV shows. You know, anything. You know, a lot of stuff mainstream. Period is is really uh, is really in my eyes just really a, a terrible influence on the on, on kids, man. And I really really wish that uh, this might come off as corny to some people. I really don't care, but I, I really wish that. You know, you hear so many times artists and athletes or entertainers or whatever saying they're not here to be a role model. You know, you hear that all the time. It's the parents' responsibility, all that shit. But the fact of the matter is you are a role model, you know, and kids are looking up to you and kids are trying to emulate you. And I really just wish that more people would take responsibility for what they're putting out there and realizing they're putting a lot of crazy ideas in people's heads you know, I guarantee you there's thousands and thousands of kids locked up right now or dead right now just because they're trying to portray a certain image, you know, or there's people out of their minds crazy locked up in institutions somewhere because they wanted to experience the same thing some rock star did, wrote some genius song by doing 80 tabs of acid or whatever, you know. And it's like people need to, if they're going to talk about things like that, they need to talk about the the other side of things and the consequences that could come with come with living in a certain way, you know. And that's in my music when I talk about my criminal past or whatever, man, it's nothing that I'm proud of. And it's uh I try to talk about the the consequences that came with that, you know. Obviously there's some pretty severe ones. And uh but I also want to show people they can come back from all that stuff and, and live a positive life and, and have a positive impact on society and you know. Um I think most of the kids that are getting in trouble or whatever, they're not they're not bad kids. They're just making bad decisions. You know, I was never a bad kid. I just made some, some bad decisions, you know. And so did you think that uh, Dying on My Feet is, even though it documents this very dark journey that you've been on, is in the end a hopeful album? I, I To me it is. I mean, I think just the fact that I was, I'm in this position to make an album is, is, says a lot. I mean, you know, there, uh, there were times where they they thought I was gonna be in an institution the rest of my fucking life. You know, I was so gone on, on a, uh, LSD induced like psychosis that uh, they didn't think I was ever gonna come out of it. And I was in places where there were people that are still in there from the late '60s and have never left because their mind never came back to them. You know, and I, there is a lot of while the album is dark. There's also a lot of songs where I talk about how far I've come. And, you know, that's usually how I try to do it. If I'm talking about some bad shit that I've been through, I try to bring it back to where I'm, where I, what I've become and where I've, you know, where my life is, where my life is at at this moment, you know, which still isn't all great, but it's a lot better than where I've been in the past, you know. We will not probably see you performing live very much. Is that what I gathered? Well, I mean, I'm kind of going back and forth with the whole performing thing, man, um, and again, I'm not trying to slight the Lawrence community at all. I don't want to come off like that. But like I said, man, it's just kind of hard when you're, you're on stage. Like I was doing quite a few shows for a while, man. It's just kind of hard when you're pouring your heart out on stage and there's only a, a small segment of the small section of people that are actually trying to listen to your words, you know. And half the time the sound systems are so bad, it can't make out the words anyway, you know. And I'm just like, what am I doing this for, you know? I only I I want to perform, but I want to perform if it's worth it. That's basically what I'm saying. You know, I want people that are really want to hear the words and 
and uh, really have a respect for the music and a love for the music. And if if that's not the case, I just really don't see the point in doing it, man. And plus, you know, also, it's not one of my big goals to do a lot of shows. And I really feel like, you know, you hear many, so many musicians say, oh, I love to perform. I love to get in front of people. And sometimes it's like, yeah, exactly. You love to get in front of people, you know. And, <laughs> and, to me, and I'm, not saying every, I'm not saying everybody is like that, but to, I really think that a lot of musicians and artists get a real rush out of just being the center of attention and, and that guy on stage and you know that's all well and good whatever but that's just not what i do music for man and i just if if i want to perform i like i said i just wanted to be worth it you know what i mean all right well uh andrew rufa aka Andrew the misfit whose new album dying on my feet will be on the street shortly thank you very much for joining yes. us here at lawrence.com thank you man i appreciate it a lot Hope through the sun just to talk to the Lord. Uh.